Hi, and welcome to episode 67 of No Crying in Baseball. Apparently, this is the butts and biceps episode. My name is Patty, and I'm here with my friend Potty Mouth. Hi, Potty Mouth. I'm really looking forward to us talking our way through that title. Uh, The past week has been some exciting stuff, including Hall of Fame, and I'm sure that everybody's heard all about it, but we have to take our turn to tip our caps to the four new members of the Hall of Fame, Mariano Rivera, Roy Halladay, Mike Messina, and Edgar Martinez. There was some history being made with this vote. Mariano Rivera is the first member of the Hall of Fame to be voted in unanimously. And he's only the eighth reliever to be voted in. And I don't think anybody can have a complaint about him. I mean, you know, we have our team biases and all of that, but the man was just stunning. And this is great. It's I'm, I'm very I'm very proud and very excited about that. I can even say that as a Red Sox fan. He is really one of the very few Yankees that I hold no reserves, nothing against. Just an amazing, a class act on top of an amazing pitcher. Very much so. And Edgar Martinez is only the third designated hitter to become part of the Hall of Fame. So hats off also to that And as a Red Sox fan, I can also be very excited about that because I think that's going to pave the way for David Ortiz, but we'll see what happens. And I'm very happy, of course, about Mike Messina as an Orioles fan. And Moose and Roy Halladay have something in common here. They're both being inducted with no insignia on their caps for their plaques because time was divided between multiple teams. In both cases, they were on one team longer than another team, but they both feel a dedication to the fan bases in both of the cities that they played in, and they don't want to slight anybody. And important things happened in both of the cities that each of them played in, so good for them. I think that's a good decision. It is. Even though I'm behind you, it would be nice to give Orioles fans just a little bit of hope and something to be excited about, maybe that, but... All right. I understand. We're excited about Moose regardless of what he wears on his hat. And it's inclusive. And I like that. On today's show, there's a little flash in the pan of the lukewarm hot stove season. We're going to talk to you a little bit about the changes and new news about the Red Sox going to the White House. Um, Your money is no good at all at Tropicana Field anymore. Utility players, those words don't mean what you think they mean. We're going to tell you about our Rays and our Braves boyfriends, and Potty Mouth's going to update us on the winter leagues and how we're doing with our No Crying in Baseball picks. But let's start with Hot Stove. What you got, Potty Mouth? Not much hot, but a little bit of reflection, because at the beginning of this year, we were talking about those two guys that everybody is talking about. I'm trying so hard not to say them again because I'm so sick of it. And we had said that the rest of the field sort of has to wait until those deals go through, at least the rest of the the comparable field, the stellar players like A.J. Pollock. Well, that didn't happen. A.J. Pollock is signed before those two other players, four years, $55 million to the Dodgers, which also means that probably the Dodgers aren't going for either of those two other guys, even though one of them helped them make it to the World Series last year. So I'm happy for AJ Pollock that doesn't have to wait around and be like, you know, sloppy seconds or thirds as the case may be. He's a most wanted player. He is indeed. He is indeed. So Tampa Bay made a decision to have Tropicana Field not accept cash anymore. Not at the box office, not at the concessions, not at the team stores, none of those things. Only credit cards, gift cards, and mobile transactions. I get it. The dome kind of looks spaceshipy. 
So they're going into the future. They're doing like all sci-fi concept because in the future, there will be no cash. They're just a little bit ahead of the rest of us, right? Yeah, ahead or possibly discriminatory. The, the jury's oh, yeah. out. There's that. I mean, it's definitely certain. I mean, I almost never carry cash anymore. You probably don't pay things with cash anymore very much, but a whole segment of the population does. And this is leaving them out, whether they're seniors who might be suspicious of having everything being automated or don't have smartphones because what do I need a smartphone for? I hear this a lot with the seniors that I work with. Folks who are poor, they can't afford, they may not have credit cards. They may not have a bank. I believe I saw the phrase underbanked to describe a swath of of the American population. Underbanked. They don't have credit cards. They may not have a bank. They live in a cash world. This is going to rule them out. Now, um, Tropicana Field's reasoning behind this is that it's much more efficient to pay electronically, to have people scan their tickets from their phones as they walk in, all of that. But there's another study that I firmly believe to be true that also says people spend 24% more when they're not doling out cash. And as a Nats season ticket holder and someone who goes up to the concession stand with my card and scans it, I don't necessarily think as much about how much I'm willing to pay for my dinner or my snack or my beer or whatever, because I'm doing it on my card. So I guess the question is, does that balance out the people who aren't going to come because they only have cash, because they don't have enough credit to get a credit card or whatever other reason? And I'm wondering, especially with Tropicana Field, I mean, that place sucks. I've been there once and I really don't want to go back. Remember Tommy Fan talking about how how terrible it was to play there and he plays there? I believe him. I believe him. And and they should not have cowbells. That should be one thing that should have to be handed in along with with the cash. But you'd think they'd be trying to get more people in there. So is this keeping enough people out that maybe that 24% profit isn't going to fly? Or are they just catering to the rich and famous? I mean, it makes really good business sense, but it's not going to bring more fans in for sure. Who's going to say, oh, I want to go there because they won't take my cash? Really? That's not a decision that people make, I don't think. Not hey, what me. about decisions people are making about going other places? Yeah, that, that kind of ties in about not wanting to go somewhere. Pookie, my past and current and probably future boyfriend from the Boston He's your forever Red boyfriend, Sox, I know. It's, it's a thing. Mookie Betts is just the best. He just got his official MVP award and was really snazzy accepting it. He has said he's not going to go with the rest of the team to the White House, which was supposed to happen soon, but has been postponed because of the whole government shutdown fiasco craziness. Yeah, they made a point saying a lot of New England was really hurt by the shutdown and it wouldn't be, they could still go, like technically they could still have gone to the White House, but they thought it was bad optics to go during and even shortly thereafter the shutdown. We've already talked about how Alex Corris said that he's going and he's trying to represent Puerto Rico in a positive way. And we'll see what comes with that. Before Pookie, the only one that I heard of who said that he's not going is Rafael Devers. And neither he nor Pookie has said exactly why, just that they're choosing not to go. A bunch of Red Sox have said that they are going. Matt Barnes, Ryan Brazier, Rick Porcello, Chris Sale, Brock Holt, Mitch Moreland, and Steve Pierce, who have something in common. I bet if we saw a photograph of them, we could pick that out pretty quickly. Yeah, and Mookie and Raphael Devers are both not white, and the other guys all are. So I'm really wondering how this breaks down, and I'm I'm concerned about the unity of the team because one of the things that's so special about watching a team take the World Series is how much they love each other and how they talk about how they love playing together and the team spirit. And if it starts fracturing, especially along racial lines – 
I really hope that there's not a big fallout on that. I think their ties are stronger. I don't, I don't yeah. think this is going to come between them. And and it, we've got a while too. You know, this mm-hmm. doesn't happen till May. Anything can happen, especially with the current climate around here in your nation's capital, which doesn't change. Which right? According <laughs> That's right. to there's no change to, to this climate yeah. ever. <laughs> I want to draw your attention to a story on the website, The Ringer, which if you don't look at, you should, because there's really good sort of feature length pieces about issues in baseball. And one that I read um, getting ready for the show is about utility players and how they used to be like the extra guys that you could fill in, like in a pinch. But as you'll see when we talk about our boyfriends today, and as you've heard us mention in, in previous weeks, we often say, oh, he's played every position but pitcher and catcher or left field or whatever it is. But a lot of the guys we talk about play many positions. And that's becoming more important to to teams when they when, when they design their team, right? right. When the team management um, designs who's going to be on the field, they want these guys who they can move around. And here's a couple of reasons why. One is teams carry more pitchers now, right? You could have a 25-man roster. Right now, the average number of pitchers per game is like 4.4. So they're carrying extra pitchers because they're subbing them in and out so much. And that leaves less room on the bench. So the guys that are on your bench, you want them to be able to go in and play just about anywhere. The other things that are affecting that are the shift. The shift moves defensive positions around all the time now. So your skill set has to be different. Are you playing on the left side of second base or the right side of second base? That's different. How you spin, how you turn, how quickly you get rid of the ball. It means different things depending on where you are. And also, as we've talked about before, with launch angle and all those things, there are more fly balls being hit. There are so, more, so many fewer ground balls that the skill set that you need on the infield may not be the same as it was before. So you could maybe move around a little bit more. So I thought that was pretty interesting and in how you, you select who's on your team because of what they can play and how many different positions they can play. More about that kind of right now. Right now. As we go to Tampa Bay for Potty Mouse Boyfriend. This guy I picked partly because he was a utility player last year. Daniel Robertson, officially shortstop, 24 years old, but he has played every position besides center field, right field, and catcher. I have a lot of hope for him this year, getting into more of those outfield positions. We'll see if we can figure out that catcher thing. But yes, that means he pitched. And where did he pitch? He pitched in my beloved Fenway Park. And he said, I don't hope to do that again, but I can say that I threw an inning in Fenway Park. I can't imagine how intimidating that is. He said it was worse than his first at-bat in Major (laughs) League, that his whole body was shaking, especially because they brought him in in the bottom of the eighth. And you know from being at Fenway Park, what they do in the middle of the eighth is sing Sweet Caroline and Everybody is up and riled up to it's support the loud. It's raucous. It's we're together and we're not about you, visiting team. Not at all. So walking up to the mound after that, I can imagine what kind of intensity that was. So yeah, we've got a utility player here. He's fairly recent. He was a rookie in 17 and didn't do great his rookie year. He was batting 206. But last year, he brought that up to 262. That is a huge jump. And so I'm feeling very hopeful about where he's going to go this year. One thing he was leading in last year, he was in the top five, number five, in being hit by a pitch. And he's fine with that. He's like, getting on base is the game. So getting hit by a pitch, if you do it, it's a way to get on base. One of the things that made me interested in him was this family foundation that he's been running for the past three years. It's because he had 
a, a tragedy in his own life. His father died of young, lung cancer in 2013 after a three-year battle. And during that time, he wasn't able to work. There were a lot of extra expenses. And their family didn't have to completely sacrifice. They, they were able to make it through that financial strain. But he realized that for other families, that wouldn't necessarily be true. So once he started getting popular in baseball, he created this foundation where they have a fan fest, and this is the third annual one this year in Upton, California, his hometown, where he invites a variety of different players to come do autographs, raffle off memorabilia, have a silent auction to help families with their finances who are dealing with somebody who's fighting cancer. One family, they helped pay off their mortgage. Another family, they paid their medical bills. This past year, he had Danny Farquhar, who we talked about of getting injured last year horrifically in, in having a brain hemorrhage in the dugout. He actually just got signed by the Yankees. Joe Kelly is there for the second year, and he'd been advertising a mystery guest this year who ended up being Albert Pujols. Beyond that, he's done even more. Last year, there was a tragedy of the son of a sports writer in Tampa who jumped off a bridge to go swimming, but it didn't work out that way. He ended up breaking bones in both his neck and his back and was tied up in the hospital for quite a while. So when, when the team found out about this, they did something because it was a sports writer. And uh, Robertson, along with two other members of the Rays, made a Get Well video and sent over a signed shirt by the whole team. But it, it sort of stuck with him because just a few weeks before the accident, the sports writer had interviewed Robinson and Robertson, and he um, had been talking about this kid, had been talking about his son, how he was a baseball player all the things that he was doing in school. And so when the accident happened, Robertson felt like he actually knew this kid and he felt like he had this tie to him. And so the morning before a game, he called the father and said, you know, I want to go visit him, uh, but I can't promise because I have a game today. So the father didn't tell the kid. He gave him the room number. That night, he didn't actually play. He was sitting on the bench most of the time until it was tied up in the bottom of the ninth. And he hit a walk-off, actually not even tied up, it was four to two. He needed the grand slam. He had a walk-off grand slam. And it was the first walk-off grand slam in Ray's history. And I've got to post the video of this because the expression on his face is so intense at this moment. And after that, you can imagine him being mobbed by the press between winning the walk-off and the historic moment. But he left and he went to the hospital and he visited with that kid. Even more uh, meaningful, especially for me, is he then had a bracelet in honor of this kid. And the next game that he played was at Yankee Stadium. He hit another home run there and pointed to this bracelet. I would have absolutely teared up when Patty Mouth t just told that story, except for I already did that once today when she told me that story before. But it's really, really moving. And I'm very impressed. And I hate that I have to go from that to saying, Yandy Diaz is the most jacked player in baseball. I'm totally okay with that. Are you? Okay. Totally okay so we that. are now entering officially the um, biceps portion of the show. So my Rays boyfriend is Yandy Diaz, a third baseman for the Rays, but more about that later, see utility players above, is 27 years old, and he defected from Cuba. I'm going to tell you a story about that. His father defected from Cuba in the year 2000 to play in the minor leagues with Texas. And Yandy hadn't seen him since. 
So he was just a, just a child when his dad left to play baseball. He attempted to defect twice unsuccessfully. He was caught and arrested both times and both times had to spend 21 days in jail. The third time, he was 21 years old and he defected with Leandro Linares, who he ended up playing for Cleveland with. And he said he wasn't as scared of the Cuban jail as he was of the sharks that swam alongside the motorboat that they were in for 12 hours going from Cuba to the Dominican Republic. He said on the way to the motorboat, this feeling was in the moment when you're going toward the raft, you don't think about anything. He said, you don't think about the fear. You think about getting to the raft. So, you know, in an earlier show, we talked about this new deal that Cuban baseball and the MLB have to bring these players in legally. And you can see this is another example of how important that is because how scary and dangerous is this process of defecting? Once they got to the Dominican Republic, both of them, Linares and Diaz, worked out for several teams, including Cleveland. Cleveland was there mainly to see Linares, who they'd seen in World Cup in, in years before. And while they were scouting Linares, they saw Diaz and said, this guy can hit. We're keeping an eye on him. They both ended up being signed in 2013 but they couldn't go directly to the United States. They had to establish residency in Haiti first to eliminate the draft restrictions and the limits on signing bonuses and all those things if they'd gone through the Dominican Republic where there's that official international agreement. Because they went through Haiti first, they could be free agents and they could just negotiate whatever that they could with the teams. So we came up through Cleveland's minor league systems system, including... I love the Akron Rubber Ducks. I've been to many games there. In 2015, he was an all-star with the Akron Rubber Ducks. In 2016, he was the International League Rookie of the Year, while with the Columbus Clippers. These are all within the Cleveland minor league system. And then finally, his major league debut was April 3rd, 2017, where he started at third base. That starting position didn't last too long. He got bounced back down within a couple weeks to Columbus and back and forth and back and forth between AAA and the major leagues um, all the way through 2017, all the way till August 12th of 2018. And what happened there was Edwin Encarnacion was put on the DL. So our pal got brought up to um, to fill in. So Diaz came in to fill in for, for Encarnacion. And when... Encarnacion was coming back, they had to make room for him on the roster. And a lot of people were saying, even though Yandy was lighting it up and had an amazing batting average and everything was good, he would be the natural guy to go back down. So he took a kind of um, powerful step. He and Francisco Lindor went to see Terry Francona, the manager of the Cleveland team. Lindor came along to translate because Lindor is bilingual. And Diaz has some English, but he's not quite there yet. But, Franco, but Francona said he was so impressed that Diaz came to him to plead his case and say, I don't want to go back. My place is here. I can do this. And he was able to have a conversation with Diaz saying, Francona was saying, here's what this means if you go back. It's not a forever thing. Here's what you got to work on. So they had this one-on-one -on -one conversation that doesn't normally happen in these situations. So Francona said he was impressed with Yandy Diaz. He was also impressed with Francisco Lindor for taking the leadership on to make this happen, to, to facilitate this conversation. Diaz ended up hitting 312 in the 109 at-bats he had for Cleveland in 2018, which is pretty impressive. And yet, still traded to Tampa Bay in December. But 
it looks like he will, in fact, be a starter on Tampa Bay and probably at first base because of all the trades that have happened recently that even though he's listed as a third baseman, utility player, they'll probably see him at first base. So I'm really excited to see former Cleveland player, now Tampa Bay Ray, Yandy Diaz. Maybe I need to talk to the Reyes about the English teacher gig. Maybe they'd go for it. That is true. That is true. Before you talk about your uh, Braves boyfriend, I just want to put it out there that after our last show, we had a two-minute conversation where we said, okay, which one do you want from the Braves? Because we know it's going to be these two guys. And here's how it played out. I had to choose uh, Ozzy Albies, also known as, and you know, fuck, I'm, I'm, I'm marginal with the Spanish pronunciation, but my Dutch isn't the best. <laughs> Ozaino Jerdy Giandro Albies. Can we take a Albies, break for, right? how, for how to say the name? Okay. Quick story. Um, my One of my favorite play-by-play guys, the one who does the Nationals, Bob Carpenter, said he learned how to say this last name by talking to a, an Atlanta broadcaster who said, what did you get on your report card? All Bs. There you got it. All right. So I've got Ozzy All Bs. Second baseman, 22 years old. And so I now have one third of all Curacaoans in Major League Baseball on my fantasy team. (laughs) Thank you very much. Plus, at the time when Albies first came onto the Braves, he was the youngest Brave to hit a home run since Andrew Jones in 97, who was also from Curacao. And my recent Curacaoan acquisition, Andrelton Simmons, who's now on the Angels, also played on the Braves. So I'm kind of feeling good about the Braves with the Curacao vibe. There were there's actually been six Curacaoans on the Braves. Ozzy Albies, and this is why I kind of fucked up on my last boyfriend, I didn't realize that there was this overlap that both of my boyfriend's fathers died in 2013. Wow. That's a wow. little, that's an odd thing to have in common. Ozzy Albies' father died of a heart attack in 2013, and the timing really sucked for him because it was right after he signed with the Braves for going into the minors, and his father never got to see him play. He saw him in Curacao, but he never got to see him here. But Albies, kind of in honor of his father, became very dedicated at studying the game. He was known for his work ethic even that young. They talked about his off-season going back to Curacao, which really sounds lovely to me. But actually, he was in his house studying video. He became a switch hitter in 2013, which he still is today. Had a couple of great years in the minors. And then in 2016, had elbow surgery which could have been a huge setback, but luckily it wasn't. He was brought up at the end of the season in 2017 in August at age 20, and at that year, he ended as the second youngest rookie to Victor Robles of the Nationals. He had the longest hitting streak for a Braves rookie, which was 13 since your ex-boyfriend at this point, Freddie Freeman, had in 2011, although he had 20. I'll miss you, Freddie. Yeah, he was quite a catch. (laughs) But now we've got a couple of new youngins. We're going young. Um, He was the first, his first hit in the major leagues was a three run home run and it was only his eighth at bat. So he started off with a bang. He made it all the way to be an all-star in 2018. And I don't quite know how I missed this because he was quite a sight on the red carpet. And this is where we get into our butts part of the conversation. His uh, girlfriend has an Instagram where she is just called Brazilian Miss. And the most I could get out of her name from other sources was Andrea Brazilian Miss. So I'm not quite sure what her name is or what her background is. But we know a lot about her background, actually. 
<laughs> oh, there I go blowing out the levels. That's exactly what we know about because she promotes Brazilian jumpsuits on her Instagram page, and she mostly promotes them from behind, let's say. She is using her assets to best advantage, and she's clearly living her best life. Yes, and she definitely has assets to be noticed. We, I'll put in some sort of link because also Ozzy, Ozzy Albies um, looked beautiful on the red carpet. He yeah. had a very snazzy suit with kind of a floral tropical print, and he was wearing those mirrored sunglasses. So I'm okay with it, even though that doesn't quite seem my style for a boyfriend. I'm also good with – Dress however the fuck you want to dress, even if you're on the red carpet. And I'm sure she was dressed kind of not like the other wives and girlfriends. Those heels were pretty powerful. But she owned it, man. She looked great. She looked great. It just you wouldn't catch me or Potty Mouth dead in any of those things, but you wouldn't want to. Well, yeah. I'm speaking for myself. Man, I squeak there. All right. <laughs> now, on to other topics. Opening day 2018, he hit a home run. Great way to start the season. Ended up fourth in the National League in runs. Not bad for a 22-year-old and six in doubles. And the cutest thing and the reason why we had to pick these guys as a pair is he's like brothers with your up-and-coming boyfriend that we're about to hear about, Ronald Acuna. And there was a touching photo of the two of them in the dugout, this re really tender hug that got crappy comments on one side and lovely comments on another. And the nicest article that I saw, we actually talked about when this happened, was from La Vida Baseball, which talked about how they're a very small center of a Venn diagram, being young, black, Latino, and this Venezuela connection, because Curacao is mighty close to Venezuela, and they both have the coolest hair. You got to check that out. So they've got this bond where they really stick up for each other, and it turns out that they were buddies in the minors. They spent a lot of time in the Brave system together before they got to the major league, and they roomed together, and they were known as the odd couple, where uh, Albies was Felix and Acuna was Oscar, and so I guess uh, Ozzy would bug him about picking up his stuff and leaving his trash all over the place. It's kind of – it's endearing. That's sweet. His real family, he has two younger siblings, including a much younger sister. And I saw a cute video of her throwing a baseball. So I am all for another Albies eventually being a, a baseball player. Is that to add to the numbers of Curacaoan players? That would be great. Yeah, right. Bring I could, those numbers up. I could get the first Curacaoan female player on my team. And he uh, is very tied to his mom. He has his mom's name tattooed. I think it's on his arm. That is very sweet. And in fact, so yeah, there is, there's a brotherhood, there's a friendship between Albies and Ronald Acuna Jr., who you may have heard was the 2018 National League Rookie of the Year. We talked about that a couple of times. And part of it was, oh, I want it to be Juan Soto because I yeah. love him. But you know what? This kid really rocks. I am very impressed with Acuna Jr. And um, I'm very happy to claim him as my own for this season. His nickname for the Players Weekend this past year was Sabanero Soy, which is, is showing that he's from his, his hometown, La Sabana in Venezuela, which is a tiny, tiny town. 10% of the land area in La Sabana, Venezuela is taken up by, by a baseball field. That's a lot. That's a big percentage. That's a lot. So he was showing his pride, his hometown pride, which is pretty cool. He was signed at age 16. In 2014, he's another kid. So we're kind of – we're showing off the youth movement right now, especially as it, as it applies to the Atlanta Braves. His – well, frankly, almost all the men in his family play or played 
baseball. His father, Ron Sr., played outfield in the minor systems for the Mets, the Blue Jays, and the Brewers. His grandfather pitched in the Houston system. His uncle played. He's got cousins playing right now in the majors and the minors. So it was kind of a foregone conclusion, right? You're a guy in this family, you're going to play baseball, I think. He was the 2017 Minor League Player of the Year, which is a nice way to get up there for the 2018 Rookie of the Year thing. There was a lot of hype when when his rookie season was starting. Depending on who you ask, he was either number one or number two. MLB said, called him the number two prospect behind Otani, and Baseball America had him at number one. And he did live up to the hype. He had an amazing, amazing season. And that amazing season including included hitting eight leadoff home runs, including, this is my favorite thing, both games of a double header, opening, opening leadoff homers in both of those games. Awfully cool against the Marlins. Of course, that was also dangerous for him because in the, the next game, the next day against the Marlins, Jose Reina hit him by with a pitch the very first pitch of the ball game and immediately got ejected from the game. So Acuna came out for that game. He was done. But the next time the two teams met, he homered again against the Marlins. And again, they hit him with a pitch. So there's a little bit of bad blood happening there, but he is fine. He is having a great time and he's working incredibly hard And so he's really earning the, I'm also having fun doing this. He is the youngest major leaguer to homer in five consecutive games. He is the youngest player ever to hit a postseason grand slam off of Bueller. 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 That was, that was his postseason against the Dodgers. And you may remember us mentioning at the time that a Braves fan, when, when they were, they needed that grand slam to happen, said on Twitter, you slam this, I'm getting a tattoo of your face. He slammed it, and she did. And there's photo proof on Twitter that she has a, a tattoo of, of Acuna Jr.'s face. It's artistically impressive, but a pretty ch- poor choice for a tweet. Well, you know, I appreciate the dedication. Yeah. I really do. And um, another Twitter-related bit of um, information about Acuna Jr. is he is so popular and so famous that his um, the, the tilde on his last name has its own Twitter account. It's actually called Ronald Acuna's Tilde. He was a star of the ad campaign, Let the Kids Play, that you may have seen during all of the playoffs and through the World Series. And he is a playful guy. He celebrates when things go well. He congratulates other players when things go well. He has a super great time. And maybe this is the future with him, with with Albies, with Soto, with all of these young guys coming up. There is a more playful nature, and this is what I think is going to get people to come watch baseball, right? They can identify with and have a good time watching these players. Interesting thing is the Atlanta fan base has always been super traditional, and they believe all the unwritten rules. Well, now they've got Acuna, they've got Albies who like to play and have a good time, and they just brought in Josh Donaldson, who's kind of a bad boy. And what are these fans going to do? They're going to have to change their tune or change their team. One last thing that we're going to link to is – He and Juan Soto, when they went off to Japan together, they became like brothers. We've talked about that on this Japan tour. And when they were in Hawaii getting ready for the next step in Japan, they had them play a newlywed game about what do you know about the other guy? What's his favorite food? What's his walk-up song? And it was a time. The last question they asked is which one of you is going to win rookie of the year? And they each picked the other one. 
I love these guys. That's sweet. I have got to see that. Super quick, I hope Winter League's update. There is all sorts of shit happening, and I'm very excited about it, although concerned about a lot concerning Venezuela. We have been watching the Venezuelan finals, and we just saw the Cardinales de Lara win against the Leones de Caracas. We just watched that game together. We did. It was fun. Super exciting, although Cardinales were really romping it, as they did the first two games. Before the second game, which was happening at the Cardinales' home in Barquisimeto on the 23rd, that was the day that another guy besides the current president said that he's now president of Venezuela – Maduro has been having lots of problems for a long time, and last year the Serie del Caribe was supposed to happen in Venezuela, and it didn't because of the political problems. Why the fuck they scheduled it there this year with the same government, I don't know, but things are looking bleak. So that day, things are exploding in Venezuela, and they're thinking, are we going to play? And the Leones said, no, this is a bad idea. We should not play. The Cardinales are honoring the two players who had died tragically that we talked about. They really want this victory. They said that we're playing in their home, not in this in the capital. It's safer there. We want to play. They came around and they did play that game. But the next day, three of the Leones players left the country. And I don't know if they were in the starting lineup, but they were two gringos, two Americans and one Cuban. So the Leones were left for the rest of the series down three players, and they didn't want to play. But on the 25th, I saw one report saying that they were actually threatened with jail time if they did not play. Good God, threatened by the government? Yeah. By one of the governments? There's a minister of sports and leisure or something really weird. I mean, it sounds like a Trivial Pursuits thing, but there's some minister who put out this threat, and so they played. And they, they lost the first game. So it was, they were three to zero and then they won a game. And I am kind of wondering about that because the first three games, they got really killed. And, and today's game was a blowout. Today's game was pretty much a blowout. So the game that they won, I didn't see that much of, but I don't know if it's worth questioning or not. So the big question is, can they host the Serie del Caribe, the Caribbean series? Venezuelan is saying yes. We are still up for it. MLB is saying we do not want any of our players there if this happens. Mexico raised their hand, but people are a little pissed because they've had it the past two years. They had it two years ago because they had it. Last year, they came in to save the Venezuelan crisis, and they're trying to do that again. So people are kind of sick of Mexico. And then people are talking about canceling it, which would make me so bummed because we have done so fucking awesome on our picks. Cardinales, we picked them. They won. Estrellas Orientales in Dominican Republic, we picked them. They won. They had a big parade. I want to see Fernando Tatis Jr. play more. Cangrejeros de Santurce in Puerto Rico, they swept. And that would be going for the third Puerto Rican win of the Caribbean series. The past two, a different team has represented Puerto Rico, Criollos de Caguas, but Cangrejeros are actually the second winningest team of the Caribbean series. Last they were there in, was in year 2000 under our friend Mako Oliveras, and they were undefeated in that series. Our last pick is still up in the air. It's the Charros de Jalisco in Mexico. They are currently up three games to two against the Yaquis, who we don't like because of their racist symbol and the similarity of their name to another certain team. They are hopefully going to take... 
This best of seven series, they're playing Tuesday and Wednesday at 7.15 p.m. You can look at the Liga Mexicana Pacifica website, do some conversion into pesos, which we just did, if you want to buy and see those games. A little bit more baseball to watch this week until we find out if there's baseball to watch next week. But what we're going to be doing when we're not watching those one or two games is picking our boyfriends from Cleveland and Colorado and thinking about spring training. Spring training coming soon in just 15 days, six hours, 31 minutes, and a matter of seconds from when we're recording right now. I'm so excited about that. What you should be doing is looking for your boyfriends from Cleveland and Colorado so you'll be ready to play with us. And you should be telling your friends about our show and subscribing and writing reviews to the podcast and thinking about winter baseball and trying to find out how you too can watch it. And until then, say goodnight, potty mouth. Good night, potty mouth.